updated. And children three and four years old in kindergarten through fifth grade, you are invited to attend Children's Church at this time. You can head out the back doors where your leaders are there ready to welcome you. Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm so glad to worship with you this morning. I'm grateful you're here, and I hope you brought your Bible with you. And would you go ahead and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a pew rack in front of you. Uh, and I want to encourage you, as always, to have a copy of God's Word open and in front of you uh, for our study. And if you don't have a Bible, if you'd like one, we've got a Bible for you at the welcome desk just right outside these doors. Uh, you'll find uh, some Bibles there. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to leave a deposit. You just take it and run. That's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible of your own that you can study at home and uh, grow in your faith in. And so feel free to take that this morning. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue uh, our study of prayer. <clears throat> if we were to do a survey and ask the person on the street to describe the contents of the Bible, I don't think we would have to go very far before we started to find people who would describe the Bible as being full of rules, a bunch of thou shalls and thou shall nots. And what that person on the street might be surprised to find is that much of the Bible, in fact the majority of the Bible, is less of a rule book and much more of a coaching book. What I mean by that is that it, it anticipates certain difficulties that we will face as we follow Christ in a fallen world. And the Bible gives us direction for those times. It is written always to believers to help us endure those difficult days when our faith is shaken. And that's what we find in our passage today in Luke chapter 18. This is a quirky little parable, a little weird. And it, it's not a parable that's on anyone's top ten list. But maybe after today it is because you'll see that Jesus has given us a real treasure in this story. This parable is far more relevant than what the average reader might realize. Its relevance comes from the fact that it answers this question, how do I pray when it seems the world is winning and I am losing as a follower of Jesus? That's the exact question the disciples were faced with in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus gave this parable. In fact, if we could reorder where this parable lands in the Bible, I wouldn't have it start chapter 18. I would have it end chapter 17 because it begins there or it belongs there with all of the subject matter that comes before it. And right in the middle of chapter 17, here's what we find. We find Jesus uh, asked by a group of Pharisees, professional religious people. They're asking him, when and where will the kingdom of God appear? What are the signs and wonders, Jesus, to you? Well, what are the signs and wonders that are going to accompany the kingdom of God so we will know when it comes? They're not asking him because they're truly interested in what he has to say. They're asking as a sort of mockery to challenge him. Here's Jesus, a peasant from Nazareth who has no real pedigree in their eyes, no real claim to authority, and yet he makes all these bold statements about the kingdom of God. And so it's a challenge to Jesus. They ask him where, when, what's it going to look like when the kingdom of God shows up? And Jesus answers them in chapter 17, 
I'm right here. I am the embodiment of the kingdom of God. You're looking for this and that and fires and volcanoes and warfare. The kingdom of God's here in me. But the kingdom of God is coming in a full and final sense. Before it does, Jesus tells them in chapter 17, he says, before it comes, the Son of Man has to suffer. So for Jesus, his suffering comes before his glory. And there's this delay between his first coming and his second coming. Here's the problem for the disciples in this story and the disciples reading this story. The problem is this. In this delay, the longer it goes, the more difficult the days are for followers of Jesus Christ. The longer he delays his return, the more hardships we face as his followers. We know for sure that we will be with Jesus one day, but for now, Christians face challenges of so many kinds, and sometimes it seems like the world is winning. Oftentimes, when different situations land on us in our lives or we see things unfold in the world around us, it can be easy for us to lose heart, to lose hope, for our faith to be fractured. And so Jesus gave his disciples this parable in Luke 18 for such a time as this. He's answered the Pharisees, and then he turns to his disciples to say, guys, it might be a while before I'm back, but don't lose hope heart and he teaches them a way to pray that helps them endure through all the hardships until they see Jesus again my goal today is to compel you to face every hardship this world throws at you with faithful and persistent prayer a very specific type of prayer that's what Jesus gives us the question I articulated a bit ago was how do I pray when the world is winning and this parable gives us three answers to that question follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 18 Excuse me, starting in verse 1. Now he, that's Jesus, he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's a great parable. And it answers the question for us, how do we pray when the return of Christ is delayed, when troubles mount, when my faith is fractured? How do I pray? What do I do? And Jesus gives us three answers here. And the first answer is simply this. We've got to acknowledge that prayer is difficult when our faith is attacked. Prayer is difficult When our faith is attacked. Verse 1 is a line we might just breeze by. It's really helpful. I love these places in the Gospels where we get clear introductions to different units of teaching. And that's what verse 1 does. But look at it with me. It says this. Now Jesus told the disciples a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. Your translation of the Bible might say not lose heart. I really like that translation of this phrase. 
So we might breeze by this, pat, this line and not think much of it, but I think it's important that we pump the brakes and recognize that sometimes it is really hard to pray. Now, my guess is that prayer for the average Christian is a challenge just on a normal day. It's hard to make time. It's, it's hard to be thoughtful. It's hard to really rest and abide in prayer with Jesus. The simple practice of prayer is a disruption to our schedule in our lives that we don't always make room for, we don't always welcome. We've got things to do, things to check off the list. And so prayer often takes a back seat. It can be hard in that way. But how much harder is it to pray when you are hard-pressed on every side? When panic is driving your day? When things are crumbling crisis has come, how much harder is it to pray? For some people, when that crisis comes, they, they run immediately to prayer. And that's the kind of believer I want to be. But for others, sometimes it is hard to pray when we begin to lose heart, when it seems like the things of this world are stacked against us. That can come in a number of ways. If, if we were to look at the world stage, for example, well, the delay of the return of Christ could cause us dismay. And that's the immediate concern that Jesus is addressing here in the parable. And within that delay, the world rages and Christians endure all kinds of difficulties that turn our lives upside down. Can you imagine being a Christian in Afghanistan today? I have to believe that they feel they are living in the end times, that the great tribulation has come and the beast is devouring the children of God. Christians in that world are not marking the calendar of the end of days by what happens in American politics. They are living it today. And so can you imagine what it must feel like to be a Christian there who has promises from God, but every day you live in fear and terror, and your life is on the line, and your children, your daughters, and your wives are targets for disaster. How crushing would that be to live that way today? And your brothers and sisters in the faith are doing that on the other side of the planet. Do you know what happened here yesterday? Uh, we had a barbecue for our men's ministry, and uh, we cooked a lot of pork and a lot of chicken and we met up here and we we ate and we could not eat enough to make the food go away it was like fishes and loaves just this the meat just kept coming and we met without fear of retribution or authorities there was a police officer parked in the back of the parking lot as they often are here and so I went over to him and I said hey we got food for you come make a plate and he said, thanks, but I got to roll. So we, we weren't afraid of authorities. We weren't afraid of, of any sort. We, we didn't have to talk quietly or secretly or anything like that. We had no fear of anything yesterday. And I think when our bellies are full and, and life is a, a little easier, it's easier to pray, quite frankly. We can pray with ease, prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving whenever things are going our way as we consider them to go our way. But when the world rages and we are under attack or our lives are crumbling under the schemes of the enemy, it can be a challenge to lift our voices to God. It's easy to lose heart 
when the enemy flexes his muscles around us in sickness or in death or abuse or grief or mental health issues. In these situations, we might ask, where is God? Why is this happening? Why did it happen? Why isn't he here? Why didn't he stop it? It can be hard to pray and easy to lose heart. And Jesus anticipates this. He assumes that that's going to be the case for you. And so that's why he gives us this parable to move us from hard to pray, easy to lose heart, to easy to pray, hard to lose heart. If we get this parable right, it should put steel in our legs and iron in our guts to stand firm in Christ at the worst the world and the enemy of the bride of Christ can throw at us. Jesus anticipates the hard day. He knows it's going to be a challenge. And so there's a sort of comfort in knowing that Jesus equips us for days like these by teaching us how to pray, how to not lose heart. So the second thing Jesus helps us with in this prayer, it's not just telling us that it's going to be hard to pray on these days, but second, he tells us we've got to pray persistently for vindication. It's going to be hard to pray, but Jesus wants us to pray persistently and to pray persistently for the vindication of our faith in God. So we have two very colorful characters in our parable. The first is the unjust judge. We're told twice in the parable that he does not fear God or respect people. He's the judge. He is a typical politician. Some things never change. He doesn't fear God, doesn't respect people. He's going to do what he wants, doesn't care at all. Second character is the widow. The widow represents a person who's helpless in society. And though we might think of her as an older woman, in the ancient world, a widow could very easily be quite young. And so this woman is seeking justice. Someone possibly owes her money. That's a very likely scenario. And she's not getting that money paid back to her. She appeals to authority, appeals to this judge. And he has not moved in any way to help her or to come to her aid. He doesn't care. Now, he, he has a moral and a societal obligation to help this woman out. He doesn't fear God, and he's not a respecter of people. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. But this woman is persistent, and it's a quality that Jesus makes exemplary in this story. We're told in verse 3, she goes to the judge repeatedly because at first he's unwilling to help her. Uh, even though he should, even though he must, he refuses to do so. For what reason? We're not told. It just comes across as selfishness and ignorance and meanness. But what is it that finally moves him? He ultimately relents and gives the widow what she's after in terms of justice. But what is it that moves him? It's her daily pestering. She will not leave him alone. She goes day after day after day. Give me justice against my adversary. He gives her what she wants, so she'll leave him alone. It's not that his heart grew three sizes that day, and all of a sudden he's filled with compassion for this woman. He's still self-serving in giving her justice. Fine, I'll do what you want. Just don't come back tomorrow. Leave me alone. That's what motivates him to give her the justice she's after. 
Her persistence is what's exemplary for us in this story. And Jesus wants us to be like her. He wants us to pray persistently in those situations where we don't feel like praying. When the hard day has come, when the crisis has reared its teeth, that's the day Jesus wants us, wants us to pray persistently to our Heavenly Father. When the world is winning and you want to give up, Jesus tells you to pray and pray and pray again. Now, according to this parable, what are you to pray persistently for? Not just anything. This parable is not just telling us to be persistent prayers, annoying prayer type people. God, give me, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. That's not what it's calling us to do. There's a specific type of prayer this parable tells us that we should repeat to God. The prayer is a prayer for the vindication. The vindication of our faith. Does that mean it's wrong to pray repeatedly for other things? That's not what Jesus says here. He's not banning persistence in prayer in other areas. But he is endorsing and calling us to repetition in prayer and persistence in prayer for the vindication of our faith. When the world says, we've got power, we've got control, you're on the losing side, we are those who go to God in prayer and say, God, show that we're not foolish for believing. Keep your promises. Deliver your people. Rescue us from this torment. God, help us. That's the prayer Jesus wants us to pray over and over. The persistent prayer for the vindication of our faith in God in this broken world. If I can borrow language from Psalm 23, it's a prayer from within the valley of the shadow of death. It's the prayer when we are surrounded by our enemies. It's the prayer for immediate and ultimate protection, deliverance, and justice. The reason this type of praying is so important is because Jesus teaches us that ultimately it's an expression of our faith in God. It's an expression of our trust in Him in situations that rage beyond our control. Where does that show up in the story? Well, in the very last line, verse 8, Jesus asks this rhetorical question. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? That's a weird thing to ask in this parable because the whole time he's been talking about prayer. It's not been about faith. You would expect him to ask, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people praying on earth? But that's not it. He asks if he will find faith on earth. And the faith he is looking for is evidenced by persistent praying for God to bring justice once and for all. It's his embattled church clinging to the hem of his garment in prayer. God, hold us here. Do not let the world rip us from our trust in you and our faith in you. God, strengthen us. Give us your endurance. God, bring justice. That's what faith looks like. Faith does not dictate the outcome of crises to God. What faith does is say, God, I trust you, whatever the outcome, and I know what the ultimate outcome is of, of all of this. It's not lost on me that the hero of this story is a widow. There is an injustice to losing a spouse. And it can be a grief that leads a person to lose heart, to give up. 
But I'm telling you, some of the most godly women and men I have ever known are those who walk with Jesus through the loss of their spouses. And I think it's because they have prayed this way. Even if they didn't call on this parable uh, intentionally or explicitly, they have prayed this prayer, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your promises to be true today. I need you to hold me and strengthen me and help me today. And that's not a one-time prayer. That is a persistent prayer over and over again. I want to be like those women and men in their faith. I don't want to lose heart. Do you? No, we don't want to lose heart. We don't want to give up. We want to hold to our faith in Christ. And that's why we pray persistently for vindication. Prayer is going to be hard. But in that setting, we're going to pray persistently for the vindication of our faith. Third and finally, Jesus teaches us to pray with confidence in God. We're going to pray with confidence that God is going to hear this prayer and that he will act in our favor swiftly. If we are the widow in the story... Who is God? Well, the unjust judge, in some weird way, is representative of God. And here's where we've got to be really careful. Uh, because the unjust judge, in one way, parallels God, and in another way, he contrasts God. There's ways in which he's like God, and there's ways in which he is so very unlike God. How is he like God? He's like God in that he gives the widow the justice she seeks after. And so there's the parallel to God. God will give justice. He will vindicate the faith of his children who call on him from turmoil and brokenness. But by and large, the unjust judge is to be contrasted with God. He is not like God. So we've got to be careful here. This story is not teaching us that our God Uh, does not want to hear from us, or he's indifferent to our suffering and hardship, or that he has to be pestered to act on our behalf. Finally, we can wear him down, and he'll give us the justice that we're after. This is not a commentary on the negative character of God, but Jesus, in his brilliant storytelling way, uses this scoundrel of a character to help us see how incredible, how magnificent, how trustworthy, and how good is our God. He is not like the unjust judge in that he has to be pestered into action, that he's uninterested in helping. He is God and God alone who helps us in his good. So this parable is helping us trust in the goodness of God, even though the situation in front of us may be absolutely horrific. So Jesus teaches using a common technique of his. He argues from the lesser to the greater. He's saying the unjust judge, and if even that loser will give justice to someone who pesters him to death, Won't your good heavenly father, the greater one, won't he also give you justice? Because he's better than this guy. We saw this same thing at play last week in our study of Luke chapter 11. Do you remember this line, Luke chapter 11, verse 13? Jesus said, if you then who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the same thing at play here in chapter 18 as Jesus describes the judge. In essence, He's saying if the unjust judge who is evil will eventually give justice to the persistent widow, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you justice when you ask Him? Let's see it in the passage here. Look at verse 6 with me. Jesus says, uh, listen to what the unjust judge says. He wants us to hear the justice given to the widow from the unjust judge and wants us to hear the self-serving nature uh, in, in the way in which he grants that request. So he says, listen to the unjust judge. That guy's a scoundrel, but he knows how to give justice. And then verse 7, won't God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? And the answer to that question is no. He will not delay. Look at verse 8. I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. If God does not answer the prayer for justice, he is worse than the unjust judge. If he's uninterested in justice, in the vindication of our faith, and just delays inevitably until we wear him down, then he is just like the unjust judge. But who is he really? He knows your need before you have mentioned it. He does not have to be convinced to come your way. He, he doesn't have to be pestered into action. Can we not look at Christ on the cross and see that God has come to rescue us from the brokenness of this world? And at his resurrection, we see the vindication of our faith in him. God answers that prayer swiftly. And he doesn't need us to ask him over and over and over, but still we're told by Jesus to pray this prayer repetitiously, tenaciously, persistently. Why? Because the persistent prayer is not changing God, it's changing us. My faith is the one that gets fractured. My heart is the one that wants to give up and quit. But when time after time I go before the Father and I say, God, vindicate my faith. And I find he's answered, yes, now I do it. I'm acting. I'm here for you. My faith is strengthened. And I can take more steps. And I can get from this day to the next. And guess who I find tomorrow? A heavenly Father who never tires of his child coming and praying and saying, Lord, help me, save me, be my refuge today. And doesn't that do something to you? Doesn't that give you some courage? Doesn't that add to your endurance? To know when I go to God, I don't have to beg and plead, but every day I want to pray this prayer. God, vindicate my faith. Bring me justice. And he does that. And it's beautiful. It leaves us with this one big question. In verse 8, what do we do with this line? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. What do we do with that? We've got two ways of approaching it. The first is we understand the fulfillment of that promise to be ultimate, to be beyond this day and time. It's an ultimate vindication. We also understand it as a here and now protection and care. So I think Luke gives it to us in this way first in order that we would understand vindication and justice in an ultimate sense. It's the justice that comes with the return of Christ. That's the whole context that this parable is given in. 
Jesus is talking about his second coming. So justice will be granted swiftly. Does that mean swiftly as, as we start the stopwatch to see from prayer to fulfillment that it gets done within a certain span of time? Maybe, maybe not. Does it mean swiftly in that when that ultimate justice comes, it is like a roaring river? It, it is a split moment. And one person is left at the plow and the other is gone. Is it that type of swiftness? I think that's more what Jesus is getting at in this prayer. That our ultimate hope is in the ultimate justice that he dispenses when he comes again and sets all things right. When he comes again, there will be no warning tremors. There will be no alerts. When he comes, the sky splits open and he will be there. And on that day, justice is applied swiftly and fully. Church, listen to me. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. Don't you doubt the word of God on this. It is not metaphor. Christ is coming again. And on that day, justice is delivered swiftly by Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. But there's a second way for us to think about justice being enacted swiftly in this parable, and that's in a much more immediate sense. We hold to that hope confidently. Christ is coming. But what about today? What about right now? Well, our vindication comes in part through the protection and care of God. Even though we suffer, we don't perish. Even though uh, our faith may be under attack, we don't lose. And that is a sign of our vindication. God longs to vindicate his saints and he'll do so. And when he does that, justice will be swift and sure. Our suffering will be short-lived compared to the glory that follows. And until that day, we have his protection, we have his providence, we have God who is holding us and carrying us through all the way. There are several examples of this type of prayer in the Bible. Not just several. I mean, once you, you carry this with you, if you put this parable in your back pocket as you read the Bible, you will see this prayer over and over and over again from God's children. And I think one great example in the New Testament is found in Acts chapter 4. Just so you can put eyes on it and you can see what this type of prayer might sound like. In Acts chapter 4, James and uh, excuse me, John and Peter have just been arrested by Jewish authorities and told not to preach the name of Christ anymore. They're interrogated by these authorities and then they're let go. They go back to the disciples gathered in Jerusalem and in chapter middle of chapter 4 they pray for the vindication of their faith. And here's a portion of that prayer starting in Acts 4:27. They pray to God for in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So in this prayer, they identify the threats beyond them. God, hear their threats. Here's what your children, your elect, are dealing with in this moment. 
And God knows that, but still they bring it before the throne. God, hear what they're saying about you and what they're threatening to us. And their prayer is not, Lord, lift the burden. The Lord is not, their prayer is not, God, just, just simply, you know, be with us and, and help us. Their prayer very specifically is for boldness that they would continue making known the name of Christ. And does God answer that prayer swiftly? The place where they were praying was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit in all boldness to go speak the word of God. So God's people live in a world in which we are assailed and attacked, sometimes annihilated. And so in the face of these things, we must never give in, must never lose heart, must never throw in the towel. We've got to keep praying for God to put things right. And that prayer requires unrelenting tenacity from the church. So the question we've been dealing with today is this, how do we pray when the world is crushing us on every side? Well, when we are weary and beaten down by the world, we acknowledge it's going to be hard to pray. It can be a real challenge in those moments to turn to God, to even know what to pray or how to pray, let alone have the motivation. We know it's going to be hard, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray persistently for vindication and we're going to trust in the goodness of God. He's so much better than the unjust judge in the story. He's our heavenly father who delights to bring justice for his children. Jesus closes this parable with that unanswered question. When the son of man comes, will he find this kind of faith on earth? And if he returns today... Will he find us praying tenaciously for justice to be done once and for all? You know, someone is going to pray this prayer and amazing things are going to happen. Would you want to be that person who one day in probably the not too distant future, you are praying, God, the world is raging and I need you to bring me justice. And then you hear a trumpet in the east and the sky rips apart. And justice comes swiftly. So Jesus asked the question, will the Son of Man find that sort of faith on earth when he comes again? The answer is yes, if you pray this prayer today. You get to answer this question for Jesus. And you answer it by going to your Heavenly Father in prayer. I challenge you to add this prayer to your regular prayer diet. I'm not saying don't pray for needs. Let's do that. We must do that. But I'm saying you put into your prayer menu this specific prayer. God, the world is raging. Bring me justice. Glorify your name. Don't let me lose heart. Lord, save me. Be my refuge and my protector. And the harder it is to pray, the more important it is to pray that prayer Pray it always and often to follow the woman who exemplifies faith for us in this story and to go to the throne of God and there we find our Heavenly Father, arms wide open, ready to give, ready to help every time. But what if you are someone who is losing heart because of what you're facing? You might say, hey Cody, this has all sounded good, but I can't get out of verse 1. That's where I've been living and I know Jesus doesn't want me to give up, but man, it's, it's hard right now. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. 
First, I just want you to recognize that Jesus has spoken directly to you with this parable. That little heading in verse 1, that's got your name on it. Jesus knows your struggle, and he's giving you direction here. And when you don't know what to pray, sometimes it's okay to just sit with the Lord. And in the silence, you're articulating your faith and trust in him to set it right. When you're ready for words, you might find words in the Bible itself. I frequently encourage people to pray the Word of God back to God. What's the promise you need answered? What's the strength you need from His Scriptures? You might find one specific verse. You might find one passage. You might find an entire chapter in the book of Psalms that you might use as the script for your prayer to the Lord. And you go to Him and you ask for justice, for help, for strength and rescue. And you find it. And if you can't find the words... And if you can't find the strength to pray, here's what you've got to do. You call on a trusted Christian sister or brother. And you say, I need to hear you pray for me before we get off this phone. And you tell them what's going on. And it might be a Christian friend. It might be your elder. It might be one of your pastors. You say, I need you to pray for me. And you listen while they take your name to the throne of God. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an example in in my life not too long ago. My dad is a man of prayer, and I know he prays for me and my family every day faithfully. I just, I know that. He tells me he does, and I know he speaks the truth. But there was a time uh, we were in crisis, and he listened and felt as powerless as we did in the situation we were facing, and he prayed me over the phone and his strength became my strength and his faith became my faith and he named the crisis put the threat before the throne of God and then he named the character of God and the goodness of God and called down rescue and deliverance sometimes we have to hear people we love pray for us to give us the strength, the hope that we would not lose heart. And I lift that prayer stronger than I was going into it, and you will be too when you call on your friends to pray for you. When we pray this way, we're in the company of spiritual giants. Prayers for justice and the vindication of our faith uh, are on the lips of so many people in the Bible. And one key example of this is King David. You do not get three chapters into the book of Psalms before you, are, you come face to face with a prayer for justice and vindication. And I want you to hear, just want you to hear some of what David prays in Psalm chapter 3 that starts this way. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there's no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Rise up, Lord. Save me, God. Brothers and sisters, let us pray this way until the sky splits open and Jesus takes us home. What if you're not a follower of Jesus? I want to talk to you for just a moment. 
when we talked about the context of this story, go back to chapter 17, the Pharisees have asked Jesus a when and where question. When's the kingdom of God coming? What, what are the signs that are co- going to come with it? Jesus doesn't answer their when and where question. He answers a how question. How will you respond when the very embodiment of the kingdom of God is in your midst? So it begs the question of us, how have we responded to Jesus? And in order to respond properly to Jesus, you have to know who he is. And he is the sinless son of God, fully God and fully man, who died in your place for your sin. Knowing who Jesus is starts with knowing who we are. We are sinners against God. We are sinners because of who we are and because of what we have done. We are by nature objects of God's wrath because of the sin that we carry in us and the sin we perpetrate. And our sin is not small, it's not little, it's not permissible. It is a grotesque rebellion against the creator of all things, the one whose image we bear. And that sin deserves death. In fact, it requires death in God's economy. And our God is gracious, and He is good, and He is trustworthy. And so here's what He's done for you, sinner that you are. He sent His Son, who is Jesus Christ, to die in your place. No one else can do what Jesus has done for you. He's the one and only perfect sacrifice of God for your sin. And so He laid down His life because He loves you, and He loves the Father. Laid down His life on the cross, died, three days later, rose from the dead, And the promise he makes is true. If you will call on his name, you will be saved. And so I'm urging you today, turn from the sin in your life. Turn from it in whole and turn your life to Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him and his perfection and his goodness, his death and resurrection to rescue you from your sin and to save you for all eternity. To bring you ultimate justice to vindicate you at the end of all things that your faith in Jesus has not been in vain. He loves you and he knows you by name and his promise to you is that today, this very day, if you will call on him, your life will be transformed forever. And if you want to talk more about that before you leave this property, grab me after this service is over or one of the other pastors or a Christian friend you're here with that you know. And this day, know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. God is your Father. And he hears your prayer. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for teaching us to pray. For anticipating how hard it would be for us in times of crisis and anxiety and panic. Thank you that whenever our our hope wanes, our faith fractures, when we are losing heart, you don't take off. But you're the God who remains with us. You're faithful when we're unfaithful. And God, we need your strength today. I'm grateful for the examples among us in in our church, those men and women who show us what it is to pray persistently. And they see in you strength and hope and courage and that is an example and fuel for the rest of us thank you for them God my prayer today is for my brothers and sisters who are struggling and you know their names and you know their struggles and you know their challenge 
And God, I'm so grateful that when we pray this prayer on their behalf, we don't have to convince you to act. We don't have to take our concern and transplant it into your heart. God, you know, and you love them, and you are present with them, and you are acting on their behalf. Before Satan comes to sift them like wheat, you have put plans in place for their rescue and deliverance. God, increase their confidence in the ultimate vindication to come at all things when Christ returns. We cannot wait for that day. Lord, we would be okay if we were to see that with our own eyes in our lifetime. But God, we trust you and your timing. And we have confidence that your word is true. You are coming again and evil does not win. And the enemy it will, will be put down once and for all. And your children will be vindicated. God, we trust you. Help us when our faith is weak in those promises. And God, this day, I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters through your providence and through your protection. This day, let us walk in your strength, knowing that you do not let us down. And Father, that you have heard our prayer and acted on our behalf. Lord, we love you. We're grateful to be your children because we know you are the victor over all things. You are the God who is setting all things right. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.